This is the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome Peter Betts, retired Fulton County historian, uh, uh, professor emeritus at Fulton Montgomery Community College, and also author of a popular column on history in the Leader Herald newspaper in Gloversville. How you doing, Peter? Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas, Bob. I'm doing fine. Well, yes, Merry Christmas happens to be the theme of the day. You've collected some information about uh, Christmas from a long time ago in uh, Fulton County. Letters to Santa that were written over 100 years ago? Right. I thought they would have made interesting newspaper columns, so I gathered them together. I have two groups. The first group is from December 1888, and maybe we could start with those. Why not? Okay. Uh, First of all, the uh, leader editor announced that he would, and I'm quoting, be glad to act as a medium of communication between children and Santa Claus, (laughs) and will publish all letters that the little ones write to Santa so that Santa can read them in the leader. I thought that was a nice touch. It was a nice touch. I, hey, I, I shouldn't bring uh, this up with the children said, probably we're listening. We're starting but off with I, uh, 1888. And, okay. of course, the uh, gifts that they requested were incredibly different than things of today. One mm. child, for example, did ask for a magic lantern and some slides, but that's hardly comparable to a video game. True. You know, uh, oh. they, they uh, could have had no conception of the things that we uh, uh, the children ask for today. Uh, but let me uh, start off and give you a few of them here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lizzie Miller, I'll give their names in case they're still alive. <laughs> Lizzie Miller, eight years old, of Montgomery Street in Gloversville, said, please bring me a new dress, an apron, and a skirt, and a new cap. <laughs> she was practical. I guess so. And Nellie Slade said, please bring me a set of dishes, a big doll with long hair, and a pair of mittens with fasteners, and send some things to my little sister, Edna, too. (laughs) But she wasn't specific about what Edna should get. No. Uh, Maggie Bishop, concerned about Santa being able to find her, wrote, I want a doll and sleigh, and if you can't find where I live, go to my Uncle Max." I guess he was better known. Now, these are very young children, Bob, and we have to assume that in some cases it's quite possibly a, a mother or father who's actually writing the letters, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, they're like three and a half and four and a half years old, some of them. Uh, Lila Vanderwater of uh, East Fulton Street uh, was uh, only three years old, so here's an example of one that I'm sure was written by a parent. It says, please bring me a big dolly that can shut its eyes and has teeth and a lot of other playthings, and please don't forget to bring some candy. <laughs> and they had teeth in those days in the dolls. That's pretty Apparently good. Apparently they did. That's kind of yeah. scary, I think, but yeah. so be it. There it is. Uh, George Van Brocklin of North Street wanted a big box of tools and a pair of overshoes. Another practical kid. Right. Oscar Royce sounded a bit pessimistic when he wrote the following. I hope you don't forget me, as you do sometimes. I (laughs) hope you bring me a pair of skates and a new pair of shoes so I won't have to stay out of Sunday school, and I will be a good boy. Well. 
Apparently sounds... his shoes weren't good enough for them to let him into Sunday school. I know, and that's, that's pretty sad, isn't it? You, I think it's shoes. quite discriminatory. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, let's, let's go on here. So many of them want dolls, so many of them want candy, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm trying to skip over that basic stuff and get more interesting things here. Uh, Seven-year-old Minnie Hewlett thought big. She said, please bring me a grand piano in a new dress. <laughs> okay. She wanted a new dress to play her piano with. Wow. She was seven years old, so she probably wrote that herself. It would hard to, uh, be hard to get the piano into the sleigh, I think. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And not, not to think about going down the chimney with it. That's true. Anyhow, Walter Lee of Park Street, uh, uh, <laughs> he, was, he was all about appearances. He said, please bring me a suit, S-U-T-E, mm -hmm. of clothes, and a pair, P-E-A-R, of shoes. S-H-U-S-E, and a pair of stockings and a cap. Please bring a little boy's sled. I think, however, after reading this, that what Santa really should have done is bring him a spelling book. <laughs> yeah. Now, ice skates were very popular, of course, okay. in both of these articles I have. Ice skates were, were you know, almost first and foremost on many children's list, but that's not surprising because everybody skated, Bob. Mm, yeah, everybody. this was very popular. I remember my grandmother talking about it. You just went home from school, you ate supper, and you got in those skates, and you went out and skated. Anyhow, let's see. What have we got here? Technology again. Several boys, such as George Wilkins, wanted Santa to put some real power under his tree. Uh, it was the age of steam. And they wanted to get in on it, boys especially. George spoke for the others when he told Santa, I wish you would bring me a Whedon engine. Now, I looked that up, and that is a miniature steam engine. And please send everybody else something. <laughs> they still make those little miniature engines, you know? Really? When you say engine, you mean uh, like a railroad engine or just a steam engine that wasn't a railroad probably, engine? Probably just a little stationary steam engine. Uh, went chuff-chuff and maybe didn't do much more than that. I don't know. Yeah. But that was exciting stuff then anyway. Well, I think it was. Well, it was going to go somewhere. This yeah, was it was almost George probably like Simon. getting an Apple Watch in those days. Huh? It was probably something like getting an Apple Watch. Right, right. In those days. Arthur Snyder, who was apparently a young entrepreneur, he wanted a magic lantern and slides and a little screen to show them on and please send lantern pictures of far away places so I can give lantern show, shows and make some money from it. <laughs> very good. I, and then he said, P.S., I will be very careful with a little lantern. Oh, I bet you could burn the house down with it. Well, yeah, that's, that's sort of like nobody wanting to give a kid a BB gun because they were afraid he'd put his eye out. Could, he could indeed. Uh, to give city retailers a free boost, a column ran for several days extolling local Christmas merchandise. For example, Hubbard and Howland, popular young men, are doing an immense trade in holiday goods, children's toys, etc. They are making a special drive on dolls and have all kinds of prices on dolls to suit the pocketbooks of everyone who comes. 
Mm. And then there was August Strumpfel, the baker on Bleecker Street, who, it said, was loaded to the brim with fine cakes, pies, confectionaries of the daintiest and purest kinds. Wonder if Strumpfel made strudel. That's a good Strumpfel strudel. Yeah. That's that's a very good idea. That's but, you know, one basic point, though, Peter, I mean, Santa is well-established, 1888 or whenever this year is, right? I mean, they knew what he, you were talking about, and they, they wrote to Santa. Well, that's a whole other subject, actually. You know, like researching on when Santa became a household word and, and the, the merchant's best friend. That's right. <laughs> you don't know. Anyway, we have more letters here, of course. We're going now, we're fast-forwarding up to 1901. Mm -hmm. And once again, the leader did the same thing. They did not publish these letters every year. Uh, every few years, they would do it. Uh, and this was a 1901 collection, and I find them a little more interesting than the 1888 group. Uh, Five-year-old Beulah Fish of Broad Alban wrote, I wish you would bring me a hand sleigh so I can ride downhill. We live mm. close by a hill, and it is awful aggravating to see other children sliding down the hill every day when I can't. <laughs> I won't ask for any other plaything. Yeah, I hope she got it. Yeah, she knows what she wants. Yeah. And every now and then there was a child that actually didn't ask for anything for themselves at all. Uh, and Elizabeth Smith uh, requested nothing for herself. And uh, she wanted everybody else in the family to have something. And she wrote, please send my grandmother a pretty calendar. Please send Grandpa a brush and a comb. Please give Papa some suspenders. Please give Mama a pretty wash bowl. I give you two hugs and one big kiss. Isn't that and sweet? similarly, Hazel Lang of Temple Street in Gloversville wrote, Please bring Papa something nice, for he didn't get anything last year except a bottle of witch hazel, and he bought that himself. <laughs> well. Now we go back to Brett Alban, and we visit the home of Jamie Crawford, who said he wanted a little chest of tools, a book, a horn, and a watch like Papa's. Boy, that is quite a list, really. Yeah, and he gave Santa helpful directions as to where to leave the presents. He said, my stocking, they didn't do very well with that word, my stocking, no. will be where it was last year on the doorknob by the stove. <laughs> Waylon Bemis of Gloversville wrote, I think you are a nice man. I would like you to put some candy and nuts in my stocking and would like to have yourself come and take dinner with us on Christmas. I guess we're going to have turkey. That will be nice, don't you think? Yeah, I think it would be. Right. So even, that's another thing, Bob. Even back then, they were doing the turkey thing on, on Christmas, a lot of people. Well, that's another point. Yep. A few children harbored very unrealistic expectations for the gifts that they were asking for that they most likely would never receive. Victor Axelson of Johnstown wanted a charm with a diamond in it that cost $50. <laughs> really? Where's he get off for crying out loud? I don't know. Maybe his father owned a glove factory. Who knows? Yeah, could be. Another optimist, Harold Sterren of Fultonville, modestly requested a horse and wagon 
an automobile. Huh? O-T-Y-M-O-B-E-E-L-E. Now, t- wait a minute, uh, Peter. You s- said his name was Starin. Isn't that that very wealthy man that well, lived in that's Fultonville? that's what I'm going to bring up in just a minute. Let me okay. finish, and then I'll, and I'll explain it. You haven't heard anything yet. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's see. Imagine, he, he wants a horse and wagon, an automobile, a magic lantern, and $100. <laughs> Okay. And then he said, I guess that's all. Okay. Now, I got thinking about it a minute, and I said, well, what kid is going to ask for all that sort of stuff, especially the $100, you know? And then I suddenly realized, duh, staring. Yeah. You know, he might well have gotten the $100. He may have. Now, this Mr. Starin, I forget his first name right now, but he was a great shipping magnate or something, right? Yes, New York he was. City? Yes, he was. And uh, the Starin place, of course, still stands on the south side uh, overlooking the village of Fultonville. Yeah, with an automobile. Yeah. (laughs) Well, now, remember, this is 1901, and and the question there is, are toy makers actually already making model automobiles or not? He might not have been going for a model one as a kid, you know. As soon as they could, you know. Yeah. Uh, More cagey children, like Milton Lauchs of Gloversville, tried negotiating with Santa Claus over the good behavior issue. Mm -hmm. He said, that big rocking horse in Martin and Naylor's window would be very nice for me. And he said, I will try to be a good boy until after you have been here. (laughs) Yep. And uh, one or two of these kids gave unintended advertising to local businesses. Uh, uh, Miss Betty Crump of Kingsborough Avenue said that she wanted, quote, one of those lovely dolls at Weed and Willoughby's, Gloversville's busiest dry goods store. <laughs> really? I have an idea she was a Weed or Willoughby kid. It makes you wonder, doesn't it? Yeah. Anyhow, here's the one I really like uh, about giving directions. Corey Gifford of Mayfield wrote this. You will find me at Cranberry Creek with Grandma Gifford, Papa, and Mama. You needn't bring candy. My Aunt Dell buys it. <coughs> Give the candy to some little girl that has no aunt to buy it for her. Okay. But, it, but if you have plenty of sisters, I wish you'd bring me a real live one to play with. And by <laughs> the way, the roads are good to Grandpa's farm. Well, so she says. Yeah, well... Uh, I don't think she'd tell them the roads were bad anyway. Probably not. Uh, Concerned for Santa's welfare, Oscar Carter of Gloversville warned him, don't come down the chimney or you will get burned. Likewise, Jeanette Jameson, also of Gloversville, wrote, please come in the back door as the stovepipe is not up too good and you might not have time to put it up again if it falls. Very practical again. Right. Uh, She asked Santa for shoes, a new coat and a hat, a looking glass, and a new pair of blankets for my bed. And please bring my papa a ton of coal and a turkey. Oh. I don't know what a ton of coal cost back then. But but it was heavy. Again, hard to get in the sleigh, but a a practical gift. A very typical group of gifts were those requested by Frank Winnie, 
Uh, and Frank said, please bring me a nice new sled and a drum and a book, a pair of skates, some nuts, candy, and fruit. Now those presents, along with dolls, doll clothes and beds, toy trains, and here's another one I don't quite understand. A lot of them ask for miniature Morris chairs. Really? Yeah. I don't maybe, know quite what the purpose of that would be. Maybe for a dollhouse or something? Yeah, possibly. And air rifles were big, too. And there actually were air rifles back in those days. Not as sophisticated as now, but they did have them. Really? Uh, they were by far the most frequently re- requested item. Now, toy automobiles were just beginning to be requested, probably because there were very few real cars, you know, on the road for people to see. Mm-hmm. Now, here comes Harry Crump. I mentioned his sister, I think, beforehand. Uh, Harry Crump of Kingsborough Avenue, who stated he was three years and seven months old. So, again, we would assume that somebody dictated this letter for him, you know? Unless he was um, really good at math at that young age. Right. Anyhow, I'm, I'm opting for the suggestion that his mother wrote the letter. And she probably had trouble keeping a straight face when he asked for the things he wanted. He said, I want a sled, a pair of rubber boots, a box of tools, and a shotgun. <laughs> okay. Well, and I'm this. thinking, no doubt, Harry probably had to wait a few years for the shotgun. Probably so. Uh, Clara Schultz of North Main Street intended giving Santa some good news. She wrote him, I think you have got a nice way to get down our chimney this year. For the wind blew it all down, and you do not have to go very high to climb. (laughs) They aim to please. These interesting letters uh, to Santa from his youthful true believers of long ago. One observes that while some children ask for many gifts, others requested only a few. The range of gifts children could choose from was very limited compared to today's. No toys then used batteries, although some trains did have wind-up motors. From the letters I observed, the two gifts most frequently requested by both boys and girls were sleds and skates. Mm-hmm. They were so, an active bunch. They didn't uh, sit inside and uh, use their devices. No, no, that's right. They wanted to go outdoors. Mm. No radio, no TV. Well, that's true, too. Now, that's pretty much all of those, but uh, I can uh, talk about, uh, again, we go back to 1899, and uh, I went through I went through this. Uh, this article has to do with the various businesses and the way they advertised and uh, things of that sort, and it was all about Christmas. And there was a problem that year, too, uh, because Christmas uh, fell on Sunday, and the ministers of the town didn't want the stores open the day before. Oh. I'll, I'll read you the piece, and, and we'll explain the whole thing. Uh, let's see here. On Saturday, December 23rd, 1899, a member of the Daily Leader's editorial staff wrote, The leader will not reach your home on Monday evening. That is the Christmas holiday, and the leader's forces will mingle with a great host of people who throughout the whole nation will engage only in the celebration of the day. 
the day prior, Friday the 22nd, the leader announced the settlement of a local argument between Gloversville merchants and religious leaders that began a week earlier due to the fact that Christmas was on Sunday. Even so, many local merchants advertised their attention, their intention to remain open that Sunday to accommodate late shoppers. But stores in those days were never open on Sundays anyway, and it was no wonder that the local clergy complained. Hmm. The, the leaders' excellent profits from large Christmas season advertisements were also affected. But apparently management didn't think offending the large church-going population was worth it. Instead, it orchestrated a compromise. Merchants would not open that Sunday after all, and in return, the leader published a complete list of their names, stating, The following merchants have signed an agreement to close their stores Saturday evening between the 23rd or on, on the 23rd and keep them closed until Tuesday morning the 26th. Thus, the controversy ended. It's something. I'm just a, but interested that they would expect them to be open on Christmas Day, let's say if it fell on a Thursday. I mean, they were kind of way ahead of Walmart in, them in yeah. the current day. Well, I have another, another article that really has nothing to do with Christmas, but it's all about the, the griping store clerks who, you know, really didn't want anything to do with it either. But that, that's another story. Okay. Uh, uh, Chris, Christmas season newspaper advertising in 1899 began around the 6th of December. That's the first ad that I found in a newspaper. So you can remember from our own childhood, I think, Bob, that uh, the stores really, until Thanksgiving was over, and the following Monday you'd start to see the Christmas decorations in all the downtown stores. Mm -hmm. but not, nowadays, of course, they're offering things in October. Are you there? Yes, I am. No, I mean, that's true. Uh, and maybe even Labor Day, they're offering some things. Well, that might be. Anyhow, they started out, and let's see, the biggest store in downtown Gloversville then was Martin & Nailers. It was a full-size department store. And they were trumpeting only 15 shopping days before Christmas. And they bragged about the rush on our toy and doll department stating, we have increased the salespeople to accommodate everyone with the greatest dispatch. Do not attempt to buy anything until you see the wonderful values that no other store can give you. Mm. What, they weren't and, modest. No, and what, what was Martin and Naylor? I mean, that was a general department store? Yes, or? And there were two of them. The other one was called Weed and Willoughby. And these two were both dueling for customers. And Weed and Willoughby's ad was in the very next day, and it announced the opening of their special basement toy store, urging Glover's newspaper-reading parents to read Santa Claus's invitation to the children. Among other, and of course, Santa Claus was enticing them to come to Weed and Willoughby. Sure. He was going to be there. Oh, he was. <laughs> I was going to ask you that. So they would have... Uh, like they did at the malls in my day, or when my kids were young, they would, you know, they'd have a Santa at the mall. They would have a Santa at Weed and Willoughby. Right, right. Uh, and uh, this was Santa writing to the children, uh, supposedly in behalf of Weed and Willoughby. And Santa wrote that Weed and Willoughby's basement is an ideal place for toys, and they seem willing to let me use it. You can come from four to six 
and look at the dolls and games and carts and trains and air guns and other things to your heart's content, and I will be there to receive you, and you can tell me what you want for Christmas. Sounds like a plan. It does. How are we doing on time? Well, we're doing okay. We have a few minutes left. I was going to bring up, uh, I remember uh, Uh, doing stories about downtown Amsterdam at uh, Christmas, and one thing that our friend Emil Suda, who loves history, uh, pointed out that stores that didn't particularly deal with toys would have some toys at Christmas. Uh, the example he cited uh, most was Larrabee's. I mean, that they were mainly a hardware store and appliances and such, but always had model trains and other uh, toys at the Christmas season. All right. Yes, I remember Larrabee's toy section, which appeared, like you say, about maybe 10 days before Christmas and disappeared about two days afterward. <laughs> okay. But they did have it. They did. Uh, we have the Bell Clothing Company here also. It said, why buy cheap, gotten-up clothing, characterless stuff, poorly made, when you can get fine, tailor-made clothing just as cheap? Hmm. Why indeed? That's exactly what I wrote. <laughs> and there was a woman's clothing store called The Fashion. And they said, this is the day you've been waiting for. You can step into the cloak department and get any petticoat that pleases you at a reduction of 10% off marked prices. Hmm. So, One thing that stays the same, I would say, from the mercantile of 1900 or the 1880s and the present day is it is somewhat weather-dependent, right? I, mean, I remember reading some old clips again from Amsterdam where you know maybe a big storm would come in just before Christmas and that would sort of uh, ruin it for the uh, for the merchants although if they didn't have enough snow people weren't in the holiday spirit as they say well the main thing with shopping in downtown Amsterdam if worse came to worse you had a really serious storm and it was near Christmas and you hadn't bought things yet don't forget we had two bus lines back then mm-hmm and uh, I can remember the main problem with that, of course, was getting up Market Hill, but that was the main problem for everybody. So you could still get there using the good old okay. reliable bus. But going back to 1899, here's a, here's a hot item. The, every, every Christmas has a hot item, right? Yes. Okay, well, the hot item in 1899, believe it or not, Merchant Andy Griffin was apparently the local retailer licensed to sell, and I quote, the new Edison Standard Phonograph, a prince of entertainment, Uh always ready with speech, song, or music to entertain you and your friends, complete with home recorder at $20. Wow. It was the YouTube of its day. (laughs) Yeah. Very good. Very good. So much. And, uh, you know, we're near the tail end here of the bicycle era. But okay. the bikes, bicycles are still popular and, and important. Uh, and there was J.R. Newman and Sons that uh, took a very large ad to remind the public that they not only sold wheels for little folks, but also carried almost everything in the bicycle-related line, such as bicycle lamps, bicycle tire pumps, seats, oil cans, and bicycle rifles. Well, on the bicycle rifles? Oh, yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that was very well, common. Pete- uh, they they would be carried in a little canvas triangular sack. <laughs> and they were short-barreled little 22s or 32s. And you'd uh, just uh, 
take them out and fasten the stock to the back and put a shot through it and probably shoot at a woodchuck or something. I don't know. Peter Betts, I thank you for joining us, and I hope you have a Merry Christmas. And Thanks I for hope you do too, Bob. Ho, taking, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Taking us back to the old days, uh, Peter Betts, who writes about history in the Leader Herald newspaper in Gloversville. Yes, have a Merry Christmas, and you're listening to The Historian's I'm Bob Cudmore.